0: This is Daniel Gallardo, and you're listening to the Tenkara Cast, a podcast about the simple Japanese method of fly fishing, Tenkara. In the Tenkara Cast, we'll be sharing information on techniques, history, philosophy, and Tenkara stories from anglers all over the world. This podcast is brought to you by Tenkara Yosei, introducing Tenkara outside of Japan since 2009. It's only possible we create content such as this podcast and videos because of your support. So we thank you so very much for purchasing Tancariose Rods, Lines, and Flies. I hope you enjoy learning more about the simple method of fly fishing. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tenkata Cast. Um, right now, it's uh, October 24th. I'm here in the studio recording this. And today's topic, I'm going to be talking about catching and releasing fish, uh, but also catching and keeping uh, fish. So a little bit of the uh, controversial kind of you know, somewhat taboo conversation that we have in fly fishing sometimes. But I do think it's an important topic. But before I get into today's conversation, um, I'm going to talk just a little bit about the last week. Um, there it was a busy week. I um, started off by heading out east uh, to visit the uh, to participate in the Tenkara Jam, an event put out by Jason Sparks. Uh, this is the third annual Tenkara Jam that he put together. This time it was in Cherokee, North Carolina. Uh, really fun and got to participate for a day uh, Went there to do a presentation got to meet a lot of you actually uh, several of you have came up to me and said that you listen to my podcast so I appreciate that I always like learning about that in person knowing that you're listening to this podcast. Uh, There was about 100 people or so, Uh, a variety of different presentations uh, were done by different members of the uh, the community. Uh, Pretty fun, just a really cool day, a good area uh, to do the event. Um, After uh, the Tenkara Jam was done at around three-ish in the afternoon, um, went out and fished a little bit uh, in the creek and that was pretty fun as well, just always nice to fish in a new area. Uh, the next day, I had to go out to West Virginia to uh, do some training with one of the shops that we work with, uh, Waterstone. Uh, they're actually a climbing shop uh, primarily, but they do carry a product. And several of the uh, staff in the store were interested in learning more about Tenkara, so I went up there and did that. And then a little bit of climbing, of course, uh, just a little break because. The three days after that, I had a pre-packed schedule where I went to Arkansas, out of all places, to work with a company that we work with out there for some filming. Um, Spent three days filming um, videos for a how-to series on Tenkara. So that's going to be integrated into the book as a final project, and um, but it's also going to go on the web whenever it's uh, all said and done. So that was very productive, caught quite a few fish. Um, I think I got everything that I wanted to say in there, and I'm really excited about this series. I'll uh, let you mo- know a little bit more when it's getting closer to completion. Came back uh, Friday night and then the next day had an event here in town uh, selling some tencada rods. Uh, we saw quite a few actually to people that several people who never fly fish before. And then the day after on Sunday, that was yesterday, went out and did an afternoon of stream cleaning up uh, Boulder Creek. And then a little bit of fishing with uh, people that joined us. So real busy week, uh, but very fruitful and a lot of fun actually so I I really enjoy that now I'm here back in the office I'm trying to be devoted and not step out uh, the weather is beautiful right now in the fall but we do have some kind of warm weather uh, front coming uh, staying here and I'm dying to go out fishing a little bit more I'm dying to go climbing but I am really resisting the urge right now I really kind of have to get this book done Uh, I feel like I'm starting to fall a little bit behind um so i'm gonna stay here but i thought i'd do a little podcast episode to kind of get the the juices flowing uh before i start working on the book again uh, in any case um i'm probably not gonna talk for a super long time so i will name this as a short cast i'll uh try to keep it to about 10 minutes because you know it's uh it's a topic that i'll share some philosophies that i that i personally have um and i'll discuss a little bit more uh about it but Today I'm going to be talking about catch and release and catch and keep. Controversial, taboo topic. So in fly fishing, we nowadays, of course, fishing is a sport, first and foremost. We, for the most part, we really don't depend on catching fish to survive, to eat. Um, I'd say actually we just don't need that. There might be a a few people around the world that do, some tribes perhaps, that really, really rely on catching fish for, uh, for a living, we don't really have to do that. We have supermarkets to go buy food, and, and then we can keep the fish in the water for sport. And, and I do see that point of view you know, of using fish, and the fish as a resource for sporting, if you will, even though I really don't like using the word sport for angling. Uh, I just don't feel like it's really a sport. Uh, or if it is, and this is a topic that I actually want to discuss in a podcast at one point, uh, there was a comedian, I believe it was Brian Regan, who talked about if fishing is a sport, it is the only sport where the participants, or no, how does he say? <laughs> Sorry, if fishing is a sport, it is the only sport where the opponent doesn't know he's playing. So uh, that's kind of like my little take on sport Angling, but it is a sport, uh, you know, or for lack of a better word, it is a sport nowadays. However, fishing, of course, uh, started as a means to catch protein, to catch some sustenance. People would go fishing in order to secure food, um, and to a large extent, a lot of people still do go fishing to get to to keep food. Uh, but in fly fishing the ethos you know since the probably mid-70s has been to to catch and release um there's a there's the saying um lee wolf used to you know used to say that a fish is too precious to catch only once or something along those lines i'm not quoting him exactly i'm paraphrasing here i believe Uh, but a fish it is is generally too precious to catch only once the idea is that you put it back in the water let somebody else catch it later on but there's of course two sides to the story here you know we're using a fish you know a living being um, to enjoy an activity and we catch him and some may argue hurt him um, and bring him to hand and enjoy that aspect of seeing what is below the water you know enjoy that uh, trying to entice a fish with an artificial lure um, and bring him to hand there's a lot of things to be said about the joy of fishing as a sport period Uh, but on the other hand you know what is the real purpose of catching fish if we're not going to eat them and of course I go back and forth a lot um, I keep fish I would say once or twice a year uh, pretty rare uh, that I do keep fish um, and I'll share a little bit of my my rule of thumbs uh, to catching and keeping but it is something that is really common like I talked to a lot of people who are new to fly fishing who are interested in taking up fly fishing and I would say close to half of the people who are new to fly fishing they are they always ask me, like you know, about keeping fish because they're interested. I mean, fishing in the minds of the largest, the large amount of the population, fishing equals keeping fish. You know, you're doing it for a purpose, and a purpose for for, for the most part that people understand, and it is a clear, easy uh, purpose to understand: is to catch fish, to keep it, and to eat it. Uh, it takes a little while for folks to realize that uh, you know many of us do fly fishing as a sport recreationally where we release most of the fish. And of course, in most parts of the world, the idea of catching a fish and then releasing it, it's going to be absolutely laughable. I mean, if you watch the shows like River Monsters for example and you know with, where uh, Jeremy Wade is going to different countries you know very remote villages and he'll catch large fish and then you know before you know the the people around him can say anything he releases the fish and everybody looks at him completely puzzled like why did you go through all the trouble of catching a fish if you're going to release it but he's doing it for sport of course and so, the natural thing really is to catch and keep you know that's kind of what's been around for a long time um, It's instinctual, you know most people they just kind of want to catch fish and keep it for eating um and I'm not a hypocrite, you know I do. Eat meat I'm not a vegetarian even though I do believe or I do wish that we as a human uh, society had been trained to be better vegetarians because I think uh, you know you can definitely eat vegetarian meals and get sustenance but in, in any case i don't i um, I do keep I do eat meat and uh, sometimes I will catch trout and what he does is the interesting thing about catching and keeping trout once in a while is that it makes me think of food in a completely different way. Uh, it's never pleasant to take the life of a fish. I never have never taken any joy in doing that, especially because I do have this connection with fish that goes beyond sustenance. I mean, I in a certain way, I make a living out of you know, asking people to catch and release fish. Um, but when you do decide that you want to keep a fish, there's a there's this kind of ritual that takes place where you're taking a life and and then you're going to eat it. And I think a lot of people might not think so much about it. I know a lot of people that do uh, when they do keep fish that, you know, it's something that they don't take very lightly and I don't. Um, I might be a little bit more touchy about that. <laughs> um, but two or three times a year, I'll keep fish and, you know, I purposefully, I know I'm going to keep fish and, You know, and I usually take um, big responsibility and uh, just a lot of uh, uh, honor in kind of doing that and eating a meal that I caught. But let me talk a little bit before. You know, I'm just kind of waxing poetic here, going pretty soft and tender on the topic. Uh, But before I go any further, let me talk a little bit about the rule of thumbs that I have to when I catch and keep fish, and I'll talk about uh, catching and releasing as well, which is what I do 99% of the time. So the the, the way that I approach catching and keeping fish, um, I have a few rule of thumbs. First and foremost, um, places that have a very large population of fish, a thriving population of fish. Um, especially in the smaller sizes like the 8 to to 10, 8 to 12-inch fish, Uh, places that you just see like a ton of them in any particular pool. uh, And oftentimes those are going to be places that have just about no pressure. Uh, So one of the little rule of thumbs that I have for places that I allow myself to catch and keep fish um, are places that I'm absolutely certain see less than an angler a week. So oftentimes it's for me here in the front range in Colorado, you know, I drive into the wilderness areas nearby and if I have to hike a certain amount and I've been there a couple of times perhaps, I know those places don't see many anglers at all. And I have a hard time believing that the stretches of some of the streams that I fish see more than one angler a week. And, uh, you know, the rationale is that, you know, a stream, a healthy stream with a lot of fish can probably sustain two or three fish being taken uh, per week you know, in a given year. you know, And I'm talking about just the fishing season, really. Uh, most of those places you want to fish in the winter anyways. So that's my rule of thumb number one, uh, thriving pop- or my two rule of thumbs, thriving populations less than an angler a week. And lastly, which kind of allows me to uh, or helps me in the decision as well, The other two points, first, you know, is the place stocked? If it's not stocked, I mean, I just want to make sure it's a thriving population uh, of fish, but there are some places that I would allow myself, I really don't very often, uh, to keep fish if I know there's a healthy, uh, robust stocking uh, program that keeps putting fish in there. I'm not crazy about the the whole stocking thing, but I do believe they are stocking fish uh, for a reason and that's usually to allow you know certain number of fish to be taken in a day and lastly as well uh, places that have a thriving population of fish that are not native to the area but are also prolific so pretty much that rule applies primarily to the western part of the united states where there's some streams that have brook trout which are very prolific breeders Uh, they thrive in waters that might not be quite as um, fast moving perhaps you know so they can kind of find all these like calm pools to hang out Um, so that kind of usually means I for the most part if I am keeping fish I'm going to keep brook trout because what I experienced with brook trout streams um, there's a couple of things that I've experienced first you find a calm pool of water where You know, you might expect to catch a fish, but all of a sudden you catch 10 brook trout. And they're all kind of like small size. So I kind of figured like keeping a couple, you know, and letting the other fish thrive based on the food resources that they have is not a bad thing. Just kind of keeping their numbers in check a little bit. Uh, But the other thing that I've experienced with brook trout in particular, uh, there's a stream actually that I fished a few times close to home um, that, Uh, have a thriving population of brook trout, and a couple years ago I noticed that um, um, I was actually starting to catch a couple of uh, the cutthroat that we have in the area, and I believe they were probably planted because I hadn't caught any of those uh, earlier, but in that area, so I was catching brook trout for a while, all of a sudden I started catching cutthroat, and it was great, it was like a really nice mix of cutthroat and brook trout, and a few months go by, and all of a sudden I start fishing there again, and all I'm catching is brook trout. And I mean, I'm not catching a single cutthroat, and I fish there another time, you know, and only cut only brook trout, no cutthroat. So in a certain way, I got this really strong impression that the brook trout in that stream were completely displacing what is the native fish in the area. Um, so that was kind of like the last time that I caught fish, and I'll share that in a minute here um you know the experience of doing that uh but that just kind of gave me a little validation that in some places where you have very prolific breeders that might be displacing the native trout it's really actually probably a good thing um to catch and keep some fish um the other thing too to keep in mind in terms of catching and keeping fish, uh, pretty much all waters have in the United States uh, have a limit on the numbers of fish and usually the size of fish that you're allowed to keep. Um, so you look at a fly fishing regular or fishing regulation book, and it'll tell you how many fish of particular sizes and species you can keep out of a particular watershed or stream or river. And those numbers, you know, I usually kind of look at them and it's like, well, those numbers have been created for a reason. And I'm assuming that they're doing some research based on how many anglers are fishing in a certain area. What is the fish stock? You know, what is the fish population like uh, in the area? Can so many anglers catch and keep so many fish? And they kind of make a decision based on how many fish people can keep. So, You know, besides the ethics of it and the morals, you know, or the moral dilemmas that we might face in terms of deciding when to catch and keep fish, I think um, a very important thing, and you have to do this regardless, uh, is look at the regulations. Is it legal uh, to catch fish and, you know, how many and, you know, so forth? I've got no problem with it if it's legal, you know, based on those numbers. Although I do highly, highly encourage, you know, all of our listeners and I highly encourage everybody that I teach to catch and release fish, even if the rules allowed for, for a few fish to uh, to be kept. And usually I teach them the rules that I just shared, you know, like, is it a place to seize almost no anglers? Uh, does it have a very strong, thriving population of fish where in every pool you're going to see a bunch of fish and about, you know, the 8 to 10 inches and so forth? Um so you have the legal parts of it and then some decision-making that you have to make based on your own values and that kind of thing. Um, in terms of fish size, you know, of course, uh, you know, the regulations um, uh, definitely are the uh, the most important criteria. Uh, but if places uh, require large fish to be kept, like if uh, there's, I know, at least one river, if you want to keep. Fish they have to be above I think either fourteen or fifteen inches. Um, I actually honestly just don't keep any of those fish, uh, and I wouldn't anyways because they they have pressure. But the fish size that I always keep are between about eight and ten inches uh, in size. Most of them are I'm gonna try to keep it between nine and eleven or so actually. Um, and that's just a really good size to eat. It's usually a size that uh, when you find pools, you find a lot of fish of that size. So I'm kind of seeing it as allowing a few, a few fish to get bigger and taking a few to uh, reduce the, the stock a little bit. So those are just a few of the kind of, a little bit of the rationale that I go through uh, when I want to catch and keep fish. As I said, I pretty much don't. I release almost all of them. I encourage everybody that I fish with to, to release. Uh, but sometimes I think it is important for us to keep fish for the reasons I mentioned earlier. It kind of makes you think about your meat sources, especially if you're a meat eater, a little bit differently. Um, you. You start looking at your food in a completely different light and having a different kind of respect for the food as well um, so I think there's something to be said about that uh, the last time I kept fish was actually kind of recently it was the first time that I kept any fish this year and that was when Jeremy who uh, was working with me on a book he was over here we were working on the book project and I took him up to one of those streams that Pretty much never see anybody. It was a little far, but we drove up there. And that's actually the the second time when I noticed that that stream was not producing the cutthroats that I had been seeing previously. And I started noticing that this brook trout were very aggressive. There was a lot of them, uh, which I knew already, uh, but we did not catch a single cutthroat the entire day in a fairly good stretch of the river, uh, the stream. And and it was also, you know, a good opportunity um, to do it because I had talked to Jeremy and he had actually never kept a trout that he caught. He, um, you know, and I had, we had been talking, I believe, about cooking trout in the Japanese style. Uh, and I told him about how I, you know, if I, when I do keep fish, I clean it uh, without even using a knife. I just use a stick. Uh, and I skewer the fish and I cook, I prepare it over a fire, uh, using sea salt, uh, sprinkled on the, on the skin. I'll post a video on how to clean, how to clean a fish without a knife. If you're interested on the TenkataUSA.com forward slash podcast page for this episode. Uh, but he was really curious about that. He let me know that he never kept a fish and I'm like, oh wow, we got to keep a couple of fish here for tonight. And, and And then we started catching fish, and he caught one that was a good size, about probably nine inches. And I taught him how to kill the fish um, in a very quick, uh, hopefully humanely, uh, humane way. And he killed the fish, and I taught him how to clean it, and we cleaned it, we took it home. And then I taught him how to skewer the fish uh, just by using this technique that I learned in Japan as well. And I'll post a video on how to do that as well on this page. And we put some sea salt on the skin. And we cooked it over a fire uh, that we built in my backyard. And we really honored that. And I could see that in Jeremy's face that I think his relationship with his food for that meal was very different. You know, there was something uh, that told me that he was tasting the fish in a very different way uh, than any other fish he's tried in his life. So there's something about that as well uh, to do that. And that was the last time I kept fish uh, just a few weeks ago, first time this year. But now let me talk a little bit about catch and release, because that is what I do most, That it's what I like to encourage people to do. Um, catch and release is extremely important, um, because nowadays we just have a lot of pressure on streams. I mean, if, you're, if everybody's going to keep a fish from Boulder Creek here in Boulder, which is a large population center, the stream can literally be wiped out in a season. I mean, there's not a whole lot of stocking, if any, right now uh, that goes on in Boulder uh, Boulder Canyon, especially. Close-up population center, there's always a lot of anglers there. Um, I'm a very strong advocate for catching and releasing fish in that kind of situation. And But I think it's important that we look at catch and release's uh, best practices because it's not just catch and release. You have to do it well, otherwise you're going to have dead fish anyways. The mortality of fish when you're catching them on a fly luckily is smaller than if you're using bait because the fish are not taking the fly quite as deep. And But there's a few best practices that you have to be uh, very aware of. Otherwise, there's absolutely no difference in you catching and keeping or catching and releasing. So pretty simple stuff, actually, but you know, start from the beginning. Once you catch a fish, um, bring it to hand as quickly as you can. Don't fight it to exhaustion. And I think that's one, one of the things that Tenkat is beautiful at. The fish can't take any line away from you. And it's pretty quick to land just about any fish I've seen too many people with a rod and reel letting the fish kind of take a little bit of line just because they were you know they thought that the fight was fun and they wanted to feel the tug a little bit longer and that's just not very cool you know so with tankada luckily if we try to like let the line go uh, chances are the fish is gonna come off uh, kind of quickly uh, because of slack but just keep the tension on the line, bring the fish in as quickly as you can uh, in a reasonable way. With Tencari, you can bring it in pretty cl- uh, quickly. It helps to have barbless hooks. I am a big advocate of barbless hooks. All of the flies that we sell at Tenkari, you say, are barbless because it makes the removal of the hook much easier. And sometimes when people have barbs on their hook and they're holding the fish and Maybe squeezing a fish and that kind of thing, and it, you know, struggling to take the hook off, that's not very good. So, barbless, barbless hooks are pretty much imperative, in my opinion. Um, before you touch the fish, wet your hands, please. That's a big one. A lot of people are not very aware of it, but if you have a dry hand and you touch the fish, there's a good chance you're going to remove some of that kind of slimy protective coat out of a fish's body. And in turn, they might be more susceptible to getting fungi, you know, fungus to kind of take over them or some bacteria built up and that kind of thing. So watch your hand before touching the fish and then hold the fish gently. I've seen this very often. Sometimes when people are new to fishing, they tend to try to grab the fish from above And if you try to grab the fish from above, like if you imagine an eagle, you know, that comes and tries to, like an osprey maybe, tries to catch a fish from the top, it's really hard to kind of control the fish, and you're going to end up squeezing the fish. So make sure to slide your hand below the belly of the fish very gently, um, and don't squeeze the fish. Just kind of let it rest on your hand, and... With time, you start getting a little bit better controlling it. Some fish tend to be a little bit more jumpy. Some fish are a little easier to handle, but just go below it, cup the hand you know, below the fish and try to hold it gently as you remove the hook. A net can be super helpful because you don't have to struggle as much. If the fish it kind of flops out of your hand, it falls right back into the net. Uh, just make sure that, that to keep the net in the water as much as you can, as opposed to lifting it out of the water. And then you kind of do your work removing the hook, hopefully quickly. And at this point, you have the fish out of the hook. Don't really spend time posing for pictures. If you want to get a quick picture, get the photographer to get ready and let you know before you even lift the fish out of the, out of the water. Uh, if you want to do your photo, take a photo. But I, I like to recommend that you do the keep them wet photos where you have the fish pretty much in the water, and you know if you feel compelled to lift it do it very very quickly and above the water I'm uh, not crazy about images of fish laying on the grass laying on the bank because it does dry up their their mu- mucus and gets them to suffer later on possibly uh, so do it gently over the water and then when you're ready to release it get the fish to face the the flow of the water so essentially get their get them to face the uh, the currents uh so that water can come through their gills and oxygenate them and that kind of thing and they're gonna go into the current and when you release it it's best to release it in uh moving water like sli- slightly heavier currents uh so that the water is going through them and it- there's some people that, or some studies that indicate that um, releasing them in the currents helps reduce the lactic acid build buildup uh, or one of the acid buildups and that kind of thing. So bring it in quickly, wet your hand, remove that barbless hook off and put it into the stream facing the, the current so that the current is coming in, in it, into its face. And that way you're going to ensure that the fish that you released and you, you um. Uh, you know you'll be happy uh, that to know that there, that fish had a much higher chance of survival uh, than if you didn't do those things so if you're catching and releasing fish uh, might as well follow some best practices and release them uh, to survive for many years hopefully or months or whatever it, whatever you'll take in a particular area I did uh this is not gonna be a short cast, it looks like. I'm about a thirty minutes, so I'm not gonna call it a short cast after all. I uh did ramble on about my approach to catching and keeping fish. Um and also, you know, some of the uh, the things to keep in mind for catching and release. I will ask you all to release as many fish as you can if you're going to go fishing. Especially if you're fishing very often, I'm sure that's already part of your ethos. If you do decide to keep fish, keep only what you're going to eat for the night uh, or for the lunch for your lunch. You know, usually for between my wife and I, we'll keep one fish each. Occasionally, we'll keep one extra to share, but most of the time, um, just one fish each. And um, yeah, just release as many fish as you can and encourage your friends to do so. Uh, we we don't have much of a reason to keep a lot of fish these days. So, Thanks for listening to my rambling thoughts again on the Tenkata cast. Uh, one day I might get away from rambling as much and I might do some more fun kind of storytelling that I'm intending to do. But there's a list of topics that I do want to cover and I'll try to keep plugging them away and rambling on. All right, hopefully uh, you'll have some good food for thought here on your next uh, fishing outings. If you're interested in catching and keeping fish, I'll share those videos on a couple of ways to, uh, to clean them. Uh, be humane, be respectful, and whenever you can, do release them so that uh, other anglers can uh, enjoy the, the joy of fishing as well. Until next time, everyone, on the Tenkata Cast. And as always, I'd like to thank our friend Nick Ogawa Takenobu. You can find his music at takenobumusic.com. I'll put a link on our website. This is a song called Fishing, I think very appropriate. It's a song that made me learn about his work and totally fell in love with his music ever since. Uh, Thank him for letting us share his music here on the podcast. Take a look, he's got four beautiful albums on his website, so enjoy the rest of the song and uh, listen to it on your uh, next drive when you go fishing.